Wayne Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN 10 Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Gurus show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center and beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place, and you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Stream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Stop. Look, he's gunning for trouble. Double O seven. It spells Bond. Shocking. He's the idol of every woman. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. The envy of every man. The nemesis of the treacherous Mr. Goldfinger. Goldfinger, a triumph in thrill-making cinema entertainment. The man with the mind. A three-time winner for Fleming Secret Agent 007. My name is Pussy Galore. Isn't it customary to grant the condemned man his last request? You've asked for this. Come and purr over Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore. The female who is all feline. Also starring Gert Rober as Goldfinger. International cheat. International menace. Gentlemen! Goldfinger, why weren't we told the New York and the West Coast weren't on this? Goldfinger, I made a delivery. Where is my money? And you owe me one million bucks. Goldfinger, the man with a finger in every pie. His goal, Fort Knox, the world's biggest bank. His enemy, 007, the world's wiliest, toughest gentleman agent with a license to kill. 007, it spells Bond. James Bond, mixing business with girls and thrills, girls and fun, girls and danger. The hotter the danger, the cooler he takes it. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to buy.
is Shay Holbrook, Pirelli World Challenge driver, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Send the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, tantalk1340.com, and you can hear us live in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, golfstreetmotorsports.com, and you can find out all about us. And visit the archive page where you can listen to all our past shows. So, we've got a great show for you tonight. We've got a very special guest coming back, an alumni guest. And I'm looking forward to having this gentleman on. He's going to tell us. He's been traveling around the world, so it should be quite interesting. Anyway, let's see. What did we do this past weekend? This past weekend, uh, just did stuff around the house. So um, I think I went to uh, a couple of uh, parts yards, took uh, a little drive up to um, – well, let's see. Where did I go? I drove up to Brooksville. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. I have a, I think I got this giant hairball. Um, I work part time for uh, Fastlane Travel, and uh, we are a uh, luxury tour operating company. And what we do is we provide um, really cool European driving tours. So, what we do is we uh, put you on an excursion where when you uh, wind up in Stuttgart, Germany, we put you in a little Porsche. Porsche. And we drive all around Germany and Italy and Switzerland and, and all the other stuff. So we do a lot of travel. It's a lot of fun. So definitely check out FastLaneTravel.com. But where I'm going with this is that a couple of the guys went out and uh, were on some tours. And, you know, when you fly on an airplane, and I fly planes a lot, probably four or five times a year, you're on a plane and you're in a trapped capsule, and it's recirculating the air. So you really don't know who's on board or what's on board. Uh, kind of like who's on first, what's on second. But uh, invariably what happens is you catch something So because you're in contact with a lot of people. When you're in contact with a lot of people, uh, you're bound to get something. So anyway, I'm not sure if they brought something back and shared it with the rest of us in the office. But I've had this little <coughs> hack and wheeze for, for the last uh, two weeks, and I can't seem to shake it. So I jokingly say I got this giant hairball because that's what it feels like. I can imagine, only imagine what a cat has to go through it's giant hairball and i've been trying to hack this thing up i actually went out and bought some uh halls lozenges and i will t- and taking cough syrup and all this other stuff and so whatever i have does not seem to want to go away so bear with me during the show if you hear me <coughs> hacking and wheezing because uh, i can't help myself and um so anyway uh i was over at my buddy's house the other day and um as most of you guys know we're not only in the cars but we do Bikes, motorcycles, and boats once in a while. Haven't done airplanes yet, but that's coming. And, uh, in fact, what was it, two weeks ago, I was coming back from Orlando. I was over there for the uh, Guitar Expo, and I was cut through a pop gun. There's a, on the left side, as you're going through a pop gun, on the left side of 41, there is a, um, and I might have mentioned this last week, there's a huge air park there. And uh, there's all these giant hangars. And uh, so I met one of the guys there, his name is Smoke, and uh, he invited me to come back. And, you know, he said one of the guys would probably stick me in an airplane and buzz me around for a little bit. Now, I'm not really, I think fixed-wing planes are kind of cool. Um, they kind of scare me a little bit. 
Uh, a single engine plane, you're probably pretty safe. A twin engine plane, because if it, especially if it's kind of rotation. Um, yeah, I don't know much about it, but uh, it uh, the, the 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 do's and don'ts kind of scare me. You know, you always hear about pilot error, kind of like driver error. You know, but the thing is, is if you make a driver error, you can always pull your car off the side of the road and you're fine. But when you make a pilot error, it's pretty hard to sprout a set of wings and fly to the ground. So. But I've been up in helicopters, and I actually took helicopter flying lessons one time, so it was kind of cool. But anyway, where I'm going with this is that um, uh, this weekend I was over at a friend of mine's, and we were screwing around with some of these motorcycles that he has and that uh, we collectively kind of bought to sell. One of them, or a couple of them in particular, are Honda 750As. Now, Honda 750, or most, most people are familiar with the Honda 750, CB750. Which was like the early bikes out of the '69 uh, was actually the first year for a Honda 750 CB or CB 750, and then '71, '70, '71, '72. But '69 is the most desirable because that's got a special sand cast block to it. The rest of them were all aluminum, uh, um, forged aluminum, I guess. Oh, not forged, but you know they were cast differently, and uh, so it's the normal smelting process. But at any rate, so the sand cast motors are a little bit more valuable than the ones, and it's kind of a rough casting, rough coating. You can feel it. You can see it. And it was 69 only. But the 70, 71, 72 Honda 750s were pretty bad bikes. And I remember because a friend of mine had one back then. And I was going down Bel Air Road between Belcher and Starkey, if you guys know where that area is. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said, uh, why don't you take it up as fast as you can go, meaning as, until you blow off the bike. And uh, so not being a real sophisticated bike rider, I didn't know any better. You know, This is where ignorance comes in at. So I had that bike between Bel Air Road, on Bel Air Road between Belcher and Keene. And Keene was a little crummy little road back in the, that day. And I was heading towards Keene. And just as I was going up on the hill there, I'd hit 120 miles an hour. I didn't realize the bike was that fast. And fast means speed, okay? Quick means zero to 60 times, you know? So at 120, I was like too nervous to let go because I, I was said, I'm going to hit 120. And I was bound and determined to do that. Little did I realize that uh, I was really in some serious danger. Anyway, so once I clicked the 120, I backed off. And uh, I didn't really, I was scared of using the front brake, even though 75% of the braking is done by the front and about 25 on the rear. So it took me a little while, and I almost didn't get that thing slowed down. And then at the very last minute, I managed to kind of feather the front brake. But that, that was kind of like an awakening to me. But anyway, so we got these Honda 750s, and my good friend Brian got these things running. And they've been sitting for a number of years. Now, I haven't ridden a Honda in a long time, much less a, a bike, a big one anyway. And uh, so I rode this Honda 750 automatic around. And I got to tell you, you know, it's one thing with you in a, when you're in a car and you're driving a stick shift. Stick shift cars, I love stick shift cars. I'd rather have three pedals of stick any day. It's fun. It's interesting. You know, and I don't know. It's just kind of second nature. It's, it's, but you can experience it when you're on a, on a, on a, in a car. On a bike... Because there's no real sensation when you're shifting, it's just yin, 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 yin. You know, it's just kind of like you're just going through the gears real quick. It doesn't really matter. So it's kind of like whether it's it's a little bit more sterile. It's not, I mean, maybe a crotch rocket if you're on a track or a windy road or something like that, you can probably feel it. You know, but when you're just buzzing around town in traffic on a bike, you know, what's wrong with an automatic? Well, these are uh, two speeds, high and lows. No reverse, by the way. And uh, I got to tell you, it was pretty cool. And these Honda 750s, actually, they're not perfect bikes. They're just beater bikes. You know, just drivers or fixer-uppers. So if anybody's interested in one, you know, go ahead and uh, contact us through GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and uh, we'll hook you up with a 78 Honda 750 automatic. And I got to tell you, it's a joy to drive. 
Uh, real simple. You know, you just, you just sit there, no clutches to worry about, no transmission shifting gears and all that kind of good stuff. It's basically an automatic with a torque converter. You can hear the torque converter, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, you take off in first or in low gear, I guess, if you will, and you hit about 45 miles an hour, you hit it in second, and, uh, you know, the bike's good for about 90. That's plenty. I mean, the thing will keep up in traffic, and it's just got a nice feel to it. So I was really, really impressed with it. Turns good, handles good, feels good. You know, it's not really an awkward, cumbersome bike, but it's a lot of fun. So um, we might get this one street legal and uh, streetable, and I might be buzzing around town. Of course, I'm going to try to do it when there's, you know, avoid traffic, because that's the only bad thing about riding a bike here locally is uh, just a ton of traffic. I mean, you, you know, if you're careful, you know, you'll be okay. But, you know, stand some of the side roads and... You gotta just, you know, you gotta use your eyes. You gotta be prudent when you're riding a bike. Um, but if you can get that thing out on the highway or on a country road up there in in Citrus County, like where I was a couple of days ago, I was driving around in the MG, Miss Money Penny. I was hitting some of those side roads up there, Hayden and Ayers and Powell, uh, Batten, all the side roads, old uh, old uh, Spring Lake Highway. Just nice play, and you don't have to go fast. The thing is, is that you get yourself to a nice, comfortable speed where you can actually feel the car. Well, the same thing holds true for a bike. You know, when you ride the bike, it's just you become one with the bike. And I will tell you that as much as I advocate you need to be wearing a helmet, when you're not wearing a helmet and you're riding a bike, it's just really, it feels really free-spirited. I mean, it's the hair, the wind, I mean, the wind is just blowing through your hair, through your face, you know, all over the place, and it just has a really clean, uh, you know, uh, just a cool feeling, you know, because you're just uh, right out there in the open, and it just—it's just—I don't know—it's it's kind of like being on water skis or being on a boat or being snow skiing or something like that, you know. When the wind's just blowing at you, it's just cool. But on a bike, you know, you're in charge, you're in control. Anyway, uh, let's see, Tommy, we got something tuned up on the uh, uh, what's that thing called? Transistor radio. So we're gonna play a little. I think we got Joe Cocker, and uh, we haven't played this song in a while. It's one of my favorites out of the '70s. High time we went. High time we went motorcycle riding, I think. So uh, this goes out to all you bike guys. So let's uh, high high time it up to uh, Crystal River and Citrus County, and let's hit them country roads up there. It's a blast. A lot of places to stop, restaurants, all kinds of cool stuff. River, uh, you know, bars and all kinds of cool stuff. But anyway, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Getting Cars on Touch That Dial, and let's fire up the music. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork. 
or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we are back, and I am your show host, Robert. Thanks for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network. Speaking of which, um, we got some pretty good music here. If you ever tune in during the daytime and listen to music of your life, they've got some really good stuff. They used to play a lot of the old standards, but now they're playing some 60s, 70s stuff, including Joe Cocker, I might add, and Deep Purple, and, uh, you know, Almond Brothers, and... Uh, uh, America and Eagles and, and bands like that. So that's pretty cool. So definitely check out uh, the Tantalk Radio Network and Music of Your Life. Now, I think it's time for the FloridaCarshows.com minute. FLACarshows.com. Well, the big event is in a couple of weeks, and that is Amelia Island. And we had Bill Warner on last week. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, Bill's a good friend of mine, founder and CEO of Amelia Island. And i got to tell you, it is the best car. In fact, I was looking on the website, AmeliaIsland.com. And so as he talked about earlier, we're having cars and guitars or cars and guitars. Cars and guys that own, guys that play, musicians that own cars, basically. And uh, let's see what else they got. They got some presidential cars. They got celebrity cars coming this year. They got a number of classes. And Bill, being an all-around car guy, you know, he tries to make it interesting. So when you go there, yes, they have your traditional Mercedes 540Ks and your pre-war cars and your turn-of-the-century cars, your racing cars, your sports cars, your high-end luxury cars, tons of exhibits, tons of things to do. And... uh, but every once in a while, he's got these theme cars, and the theme cars are really interesting because you never know who's walking around there. You meet some very, very interesting people, and uh, so that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. Also, this weekend, our friends over at the DuPont Registry, third Saturday of the month, DuPont Cars and Coffee. Also, the same weekend, third Saturday of the month, and I was talking earlier about riding motorcycles up in the Lake County or Citrus County, Hernando County. Hop on your... Uh, Hop on the uh, 1978 Honda 750 automatic that you're going to purchase from me and ride your bike through the wind and, and uh, you know, I just fell short of something there. But anyway, ride your bike through those little windy, just really cool country roads uh, through Citrus and Lake County and go to the Villages. The Villages has a car show every third Saturday of the month. And uh, that's a pretty spectacular event. Actually, got a lot of cars that show up there. And not only that, they got live entertainment. So if you're into listening to some good music and you want to do some dancing, it's very traditional, old school, and it's kind of cool. So we go up there every once in a while, and that's a lot of fun. 
Uh, if you want to find out what else is going on, check out flacarshows.com. Let's see. <coughs> cars, cars. I am doing, as you know, appraisals and diminished values and total loss reports and pre-purchase inspections. And I get a lot of calls. And uh, if the cars are seriously damaged, you know, I can definitely do something for you. But light hits. I, I go around and around with insurance companies. I go a lot around and around with owners. If the cars have a small little fender bender, you know, and it's just like cosmetics and it's bolt on, bolt off, you're still really entitled to a diminished value because it will show up on your Carfax. But if you call me, what I'll do is I'll just kind of give you a few pointers over the phone. won't charge you anything. And you can just go ahead and beat on the insurance company yourself. Because you're going to have to, you know, the old saying, squeaky wheel gets the grease. So you're going to have to, you know, jump up and down and stomp your feet a little bit, and you will get something. And uh, But if you've got a hard hit, you know, and you got uh, some serious damage to your car, definitely um, give me a call if you need a diminished value or a uh, total loss report or just an appraisal. Um, I did a car for here for our friend Mike Bryant. He uh, has a Lotus 7, and... Uh, that was uh, kind of a cool car, interesting car. So we did an appraisal on that. Matter of fact, uh, if you're ever up in Dunedin, stop by the Dunedin Brewery. Anyway, with that, I think we're going to fire up the stereo one more time. And we're going to play a little, uh, what did we pick out this time? Oh, a little Smuggler's Blues, a little Glenn Fry here, right, 1985. And then we're going to come back with our guests. So, hey, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's 
the job. You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. How many times has Hunt's government betrayed him, disavowed him, cast him aside? How long before a man like that has had enough? Best not to look. I'm delighted to uh, welcome back my good friend and renowned motorsports commentator, Bob Varsha. Bob, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Robert. Good to be back with you. Who's not good right now? I mean, the racing season's begun. The Rolex 24 is come and gone. NASCAR's moved in. we got the 500 next weekend. NHRA's fired up. IndyCar will be right behind them, along with MotoGP and Formula One and and, of course, what I concentrate on these days, Formula E all over the world. So, yeah, it's a great time of year. Now, tell us a little bit about Formula E. It's not really well-known here in the USA yet, is it? Well, the, the uh, popularity is building all the time. We're only in our fifth season with the series, and I've been with it one way or another since the very beginning back in 2014-15. Um, and they've raced several times here in the United States. They raced in Long Beach, California, on a variation of the famous IndyCar circuit. They raced in Miami one year on the old um, downtown circuit around American Airlines Arena. And they've established what I hope will be a really good event in uh, on the shores of uh, Harbor in Red Hook in Brooklyn, the first uh, first ever motorsports event to take place in New York City. And uh, we do a doubleheader there in mid-July every season to wrap things up for the year before we, uh, before we start the next season. So it's, uh, it's coming along. The TV numbers are great. Uh, we're on platforms all over the world. Uh, we've got a substantial portion of the size of the crowd that Formula One gets. I think I heard that we were about two-thirds the size of Formula One in terms of viewership numbers. And that's the case. That's, uh, that's certainly a sign that the series is getting more and more popular all the time. I'll tell you this, it's a lot of fun for me to cover with the group we have. Dario Franchitti, of course, big IndyCar star, uh, Jack Nichols, Nicky Shields, Vernon Kay. It's basically an all-British or United Kingdom group, except for me as the lone yank in the crowd. But, uh, but we have a good time. <coughs> now, on the Formula E side, as far as the cars 
Are there any manufacturers involved that we know of? I mean, or are these... Oh, uh, absolutely. Okay, who, who would they yeah. be? Well, we've got 11 teams out there and nine manufacturers. We only have two what you'd call privateer teams. Uh, the Germans are there. Audi and BMW have factory squads now. Porsche is coming. Mercedes is coming. Uh, Nissan has taken over for sister company Renault, who were the team's champions for the first three seasons of the series. We have two Chinese manufacturers. Um, so, yeah, we have, we have plenty of manufacturer clout in the series. And, and it, it's easy to see why. With the way the industry is turning to electricity to power automobiles, everybody wants to be involved in the form of motorsport that helps generate the new technology for battery life and efficiency and the, all the things that make uh, electricity the way to go in terms of propulsion. So now once you're in the event at, at these particular events, and since you travel around, for the spectator, I'm going to be sitting uh-huh. in the stands. What do I hear? I see the cars, but I don't hear anything, correct? Is that, I mean, so I'm missing that aspect. I'm missing that sensation, correct? You're, you're definitely hearing something. I mean, okay. it's not a silent series. It's okay. about the same decibel level as, uh, you know, a nearby highway. The cars uh, make a sort of a metallic whine, which, uh, which I find kind of melodious myself. But, you know, the whole point is the cars are not terribly noisy because the place where electric mobility is most needed is in urban areas where the air quality suffers as a result of all the cars and trucks moving around. So electric cars don't have that problem. They are emissions-free, and they are also quieter which is what you want in an urban environment. But they're quick. I mean, these cars will do 175 miles an hour, though we run on very tight circuits in, uh, in urban areas that, that kind of hold the speeds down. Uh, but the cars are quick. They're really wicked-looking, uh, lots of downforce. They run on a special Michelin treaded tire, so they don't have to change tires if, for some reason, the, the weather changes. They're wet-dry tires. Uh, the drivers say they're difficult to drive, but it's all the more satisfying when you get the performance out of the car. And it's a, it's a very laid-back paddock. All the drivers realize they're, they're all part of something that's, um, that's going to be big in the future. So it, uh, you know, it's a very positive experience every weekend. So you've, I would imagine you've interviewed some of the drivers. So for the driver that mm-hmm. drives, let's say, a serious Formula One car, and like Dario, for example, who's driven IndyCars. I'm not sure if Dario did Formula One, but I know he did IndyCar. So for the guy that's driven an IndyCar or a Formula One car, and he makes that transition to an electric car, and you just got through saying that they say it's hard to drive. What's hard about it? I mean, in other words, well, is it because of the you're used to engine response? Is it got a different weight, a different balance to it? What is it? it dimensionally, it's very similar. The cars are 900 kilograms, but it makes up most of that, which weighs about 400 kilos. It, it's just a very different driving discipline than what most drivers are used to. For example, there's, there's so much more, uh, the equivalent of engine braking under what's called regen, regeneration of electricity, when the driver lifts off and engages regeneration, so the electric motor switches polarity and goes from becoming a driver of the car to a generator to create and recover electricity and shoot that back into the battery to help extend battery life. It takes a certain feel for that. And we've had drivers like Andre Lauderer, a world endurance champion and Le Mans winner, come in and say, these cars are really difficult to drive because you have to do things differently. The, the braking zones can be longer. 
depending on who's using regen and who's not at any particular given time. Um, it, there's, there's just so many things that one does differently. I mean, look at Felipe Massa, who had a long career in Formula One. He's with the Venturi team now in Formula E, and he'll tell you straight out that these cars are very different to drive. Not that they're bad in any way. They're actually a lot of fun, uh, especially because you can hear all the noise the car makes. Instead of having the engine noise, you get to hear the tire squeal and the differentials <laughs> ratcheting away. And it's, uh, it's, it's a very different kind of sensory experience, and I hope folks will take the opportunity to tune in on the Fox networks and, and give it a chat. The batteries has always been an issue, uh-huh. length, longevity of the batteries. So how does this work, and how long are the races, and is there any charging going on, or is it just a battery swap out, or how does it work if they come in and they exceed the duration that the battery's life would, um, would, extend, would, would, uh, would last, let's say, during a race? Well, you run the battery out of power, and you're just going to stop. That's all there is to it. And okay. there are limits to the battery, and that's part of the strategy. You have to be able to manage the way you use the available energy from the battery. The, the first four seasons used batteries made by Williams Grand Prix Engineering, the home of the great Formula One team. That was the, the first generation Formula E car. Then they, they developed the Gen 2 car, the second generation machine with a larger, more powerful battery made by McLaren Technologies, another Formula One related operation. The battery is slightly bigger and heavier, but it holds much more power. It lasts a lot longer. And that's part of the mission statement of the series, is to develop a platform that uses motorsports. I mean, the toughest technical crucible out there. Ask any of the manufacturers. That's why they they go racing, is to demonstrate technology at the cutting edge. So these batteries allow the car to go a lot faster uh, and, um, and, uh, and put on a a really good show for the fans. But it, it's all about battery technology, no question about it. How long is an average race? They run 45 minutes plus one lap. That's a new rule change this year. Previously, they would go a given number of laps that would change from track to track based on its configuration. And, uh, and they wanted to push the battery life as far as they possibly could. So that had to be a, a, a driver skill. It had to be a an arrow in the quiver of every driver is how do I make my battery power last as long as I need it to? And they also have added features like fan boost in which six days of fan voting allows five drivers in the current iteration of the rule to get an extra 25 kilowatts of usable energy for a short period of time in the race. Kind of like push to pass in IndyCar might be a good analogy. And we also have an additional nuance this year called attack mode, which is a bit like a joker lap in rally cross where you go out or in, in, in supercross and motocross racing, you take a different route than the normal racing line, but it gives you an advantage somehow. And in the case of formula E, you cross three sensors in the track that give another 25 kilowatts of usable energy to, uh, to put a pass on somebody or be defensive or, you know, for whatever purpose the driver and team want to put it to. Having said that, I mean, it's not anywhere near the Formula One level of technology, which can be mind-blowing at times. The teams, for example, get no telemetry out of the cars. They have to ask the driver what the car is doing. In fact, they watch our television broadcast because we have graphics that show how much <coughs> energy a given driver and car combination has in the race, and that's how they find out how their driver is doing. 
and we can listen to them on the radio and you hear them talking in code about all these different energy usage scenarios, the settings on the car and the, and the uh, brake-by-wire system that are a critical part of the uh, regeneration process. It's a very different kind of motor racing, and as I say, we're having a lot of fun with it. Who would you say is the pioneers? I mean, some of the pioneers in this industry, in this racing. I mean, who are the guys that would, you know, if you had to give credit to somebody to, to, that, that brought this to fruition, who would that be? Well, a Spaniard named Alejandro Agag, who uh, made a name for himself in politics. He was the youngest ever member of the European Parliament in his 30s. But he's always been close to Bernie Ecclestone. He's done some race driving. And he saw an opportunity here, given the climate change and the environmental situation we find ourselves in, to create a racing series that would promote the development of emissions-free mobility. So he came up with this idea and found the financing and put together the idea of Formula E. took him a couple of years to get it to fly before the first season began in 2014. And now here we are, five seasons down the road, with a Gen 2 car that is just leagues better than the uh, original car. And they have more plans. They operate in four- and five-year segments. We'll have a new Gen 3 car down the road. We'll go to lots of other cities that are begging to have Formula E races. And, in fact, Alejandro moved on to his newest creation, which was just launched in London a couple of weeks ago, which is Extreme E, in which they're going to develop electric uh, off-road vehicles and oh, wow. do match races in extreme environments around the world, very cold places, very hot places. Uh, right now we're working on a plan for uh, an attempt to shatter a record by taking a four-wheeled vehicle higher uh, than it's ever been before. The record is about 15,000 feet above sea level before normally an internal combustion engine kind of runs out of puff after a while. <laughs> but you don't have that problem with an electric vehicle, so... We anticipate, I mean, they'll go as high as, as the oxygen the driver will breathe will take him. Uh, and, and I know we've done site surveys up above 19,000 feet, so that could be pretty cool. But maybe the coolest thing about the whole series is because it's going to go to very extreme places, you don't have hotels and racetracks and that sort of thing. So they've taken a ship and they're outfitting it to basically contain the entire series. Cars, oh, wow. equipment, timing and scoring, administration, television, everything will be on this big boat and will go from venue to venue around the world. It's a really exciting concept. Well, I know, seriously, we talk about it. when you say exciting, that defines exciting. That really sounds cool. Wow. Yeah, well, stay tuned. I will. I will. We'll have to you know, bring you on more often and we'll just have to give us some updates. So, all right, give us a cost comparison F1, E, Formula E. I mean, you know. Racing costs, <laughs> expense, teams? I know <laughs> well, it's got to be a nothing. fraction of, but let's just give us a ballpark oh, yeah. idea. Well, you know, I'm not privy to the actual numbers teams are spending. And one of the challenges of Formula E, as more and more manufacturers pile into the series, is avoiding that sort of arms race mentality. Manufacturers come in, they want to win. Right. And they will spend whatever it takes to accomplish that. But that can lead to problems that Formula One, for example, faces right now. You have the haves and the have-nots. If you're a factory team or a works team, as my British colleagues like to say, you're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, I was reading a great article by uh, the writer Mark Hughes, who follows Formula One recently, in which he talks about Renault, which has been, of the works teams, has been the loudest in terms of calling for 
things like spending caps and technology limitations so that these budgets don't get out of control in F1. Having said that, Renault has put millions and millions of dollars into their facilities in France and in Britain where the cars were assembled. They now have 750 people or somebody working on the cars. Ferrari, I think, is up to about 1,200. I'm sure Mercedes is the same way. I mean, these are, you know, put a man on the moon kind of budgets. It's, it's just crazy. Uh, but in Formula E, things are much, much more controlled. The cars are all very similar. There's only certain things you can do to the cars, certainly nothing to the batteries, but you can come up with your own motor layouts. You can build your own electric motors. You can have your own inverters, which is the component that takes the DC or direct current power from the battery and turns it into the alternating current or AC that runs the electric motor. You can come up with your own software packages, your own suspension and wing settings and those sorts of things. But you are limited in terms of the number of things <clears throat> excuse me, that you can invest money in to try to go that little tenth of a second quicker. So nobody compares with Formula One. And if I had to guess, I'd say the Formula, T, Formula E teams might be spending, um, I'd say, probably seven figures, but certainly not nine figures <laughs> you know what it was interesting i just had a i got a texter from somebody and they uh, said something about are the batteries like the and i'm not i don't know i, I think i'm saying this right the 7000 series batteries that they use in the tesla i don't does that ring a bell to you does that resonate is that are lithium ion batteries in formula e and uh to be honest i don't know what the tesla uses i assume it's something similar but uh i don't know what the the 7000 series refers to, but um, now they are lithium-ion batteries. They have to be very carefully handled, um, and the uh, and you need you know Formula One level technology, military technology, spaceflight technology uh, to uh, to control these batteries and the enormous power levels they can achieve. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it's funny because you were talking about uh, costs and stuff. I mean, uh, let's just look at the Daytona race here. It's like you've got uh, Daytona prototype, the Le Mans prototype, and the GT class. You only have three classes or three or four classes. That's all you have nowadays because the cost of racing is so so expensive. I mean, back in the old days when I used to go in the 70s and 80s, you had a number of different classes. It was very easy for the privateer to get into that. And today it's just mm-hmm. like uh, racing. The only place a guy can really race and be somewhat competitive is an SCCA or, you know, if you get a cool old vintage car. And uh, racing has just gotten to be truly a corporate or rich man's hobby. Well, there's no question about that, and and you're right that sports cars have been, um, you know, the place where the, you know, the, the reasonably resourced amateur can go and and race. Uh, but you know, it's it's that same point I was saying with regard to Formula E. When manufacturers get involved, the cost of racing goes up enormously. But by the same token, when the administration of a given series wants to try to limit what the teams can do that can get very expensive i mean look at formula one and all the things they've done with switching to hybrid power and and, you know new rules always cost money as my old colleague david hobbs used to say Mm -hmm. you just leave the rules in place for a while and see what happens Uh, you'll save the teams a whole lot of money rather than saying okay now you got to go out and put this device or that thing on the car to try to make the racing closer you know the, the racing will be close when everybody has a more or less equal opportunity to come up with a solution that that 
you know, everybody can use. That's when racing is close. But when, when you can spend gobs of money and come up with a better mousetrap that no one else has, well, then you're not going to have close racing because, you know, somebody, select cars, are going to be better than the others. Well, the only good thing about that, if you look back on the Can-Am days, is uh, a lot of technology came out. And one question I was going to throw at you, you're talking about the European F1 teams and Williams and, mm-hmm. and people like that. I've often wondered why Penske has never got into F1. I mean, he goes into NASCAR, he goes into GT races, you know, and he just pretty much dominates everything. If he, it might take him a year or two to get it all figured out, but once he gets it dialed in... You know, he's just like, it's Penske perfect. And I was just thinking to myself here, we do not have an American F1 team. If anybody would head, head an American F1 team, I would think it would be Roger Penske, and I would think the rest of the team would just go, wow, Penske's well, on, the, you know, on, the, on the grid. <laughs> well, let's back up a little bit. Roger Penske did have a Formula One team for he a did? number of years. Mark Donahue was his driver. Yep. Oh, that's right, in the uh, 70s. And he raced in F1 for a while, and we have an American one team, uh, Formula One team currently in in Haas from Kannapolis, North Carolina. Haas Formula One team with Roman Grosjean and uh, and uh, Kevin Magnuson driving okay. the cars. I forgot yeah. about them. Yep, they're out there. Of course, they're using a lot of Ferrari technology, and they have a very different business model, the Haas people do. Uh, Gene Haas runs it the way he runs his NASCAR teams. He basically buys as much technology as the rule book will allow. He gets his... His uh, his engines and chassis, I think, from Rick Hendrick. Uh, and in Formula One, he, he has uh, the Dallara chassis builders who do all the Indy cars. He mm-hmm. has them design and build his race cars. And he has the powertrains and suspensions boxes from Ferrari. Uh, so, uh, you know, as much as the rule book will allow him to take off the shelf, <laughs> which is a completely inappropriate phrase as applied to Formula <laughs> One. But yeah. basically, he's taken store-bought parts and, uh, you know, massaging them like Don Garlitz always liked to do in drag racing. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and and we're seeing the progress. You know, they're inching their way up the pecking order. Soon they may be the, the best of the teams that aren't Red Bull, Ferrari, or Mercedes. So uh, what else is Bob Barsher up to? Are you... Uh are you doing anything in Monterey? And I know you were doing some. Uh, are, you, are you covering the vintage races at all, Monterey Historics or anything like that? You know, I was just thinking about. I haven't done vintage races in some time, and I would love to because uh, you know it's a great crowd. You know, my old on on screen colleague Dorsey Schrader yep. works with various uh, vintage series now. Uh, the cars are wonderful. I've been to a few of the uh, of the vintage events around the country. Um, yeah, I've, I've really kind of uh, spread my my interest level in uh, in automotive competition recently because there are so many cool old cars out there and as i get older i find myself looking at cars and realizing that i was there when that car was current technology <laughs> so the idea of you know going out and seeing all the old you know Porsche 962s and you know Ford GTO Mustangs and all that kind of stuff I really get a kick out of that. So, although vintage racing doesn't get a lot of television coverage, I'd, I'd certainly like to have a, a look deeper into that. As you point out, I go to Monterey every year for the the motorsports reunion and Pebble Beach. Um, I've been involved more with Concord activity around the country. I've, I've, I've judged at Amelia. I've judged uh, well, I didn't judge at Pebble, but I covered it for television. Um, I'm going to go to the Greenwich event this year for the first time, so I'm really looking forward to that. I've been to the Charlotte event that's coming out the door 
strongly. Uh, we have an event here in Atlanta now. The Atlanta Concours has been three or four seasons running now, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get bigger and better every year. So, yeah, I spend time around that. I'd love to get back to the auction shows. I haven't worked on any of the Barrett-Jackson stuff for a while, but hopefully that might, uh, might come back around. And I'd love to get back to sports cars. Um, but, um, you know, with, with the uh, change in, uh, in network coverage, um, you know, that hasn't been uh, an opportunity thus far. But, no, I'm still out there swinging. You know, it's funny because you talked about vintage racing, and uh, Dorsey's with HSR, I think, so he's working with, and mm-hmm. um, he's doing stuff with them. I'm not sure who's doing SVRA. Those are the two biggest ones. And, uh-huh. um, and then obviously Monterey and then Sonoma. Watkins Glens is huge. So those are kind of like some of the big ones. Uh, Road America, you know, Brian Redman has the thing up there that he does. We actually have the one yep. down in Palm Beach, the Palm Beach Inter- right. International, uh-huh. or the Target 66 or Target, whatever he calls it. And uh, But, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of big money cars and vintage racing. I mean, they're not racing, you know, the, your average twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 sports cars. There's some million-dollar Ferraris and GTs and Cobras and, oh, yeah. and Porsches yeah. and some serious stuff that's out there. So I'm well, just... I'm, su- I'm surprised that there's not the money there, you know, sponsorship money to give these these venues, you know, coverage because it is interesting. And there's a lot of people like you and me that can relate to those cars because we were there when a lot of the cars, particularly 60s, 70s or 70s, 80s, 90s cars were, uh, like you said, the current technology. Yeah, well, you raised two good points there. One is the fact that, yeah, we don't seem to have the sponsor support for television coverage of those events, which I think would be a lot of fun. And in that connection, I'm talking with some uh, with some people about a show concept that would look at that, taking those cars and putting them in the context of their historical eras <clears throat> and gathering up all the best video and all the best interviews we can and, and putting together a show. I'll let you know if that happens. But the other point you raised, and it's a great one, <laughs> you know, some of the cars that are evolving into vintage classification are pretty dadgum sophisticated machines. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Formula One cars from the last 10 or 15 years, you can't just take out to a vintage race, you know, and fire up the engine and take off. you got to have a team of engineers. Yes. Like the Ferrari Clashesy program is all about, where you, you buy one of these cars, but then you, Ferrari sends guys out to help you run them. Well, that, you know, like... It's going to get more and more so. Yeah, and but the thing is, is those cars are out there, and they got to have a place to go. So that's why the vintage racing yep. circuit is perfect. Them, I mean, it makes it so that the average guy, like you know, you or I, that doesn't have a huge budget, we can still go out there and run an Asian, or like uh, Mike Joy, you can race an MGB. <clears throat> but you know, if you got the money to put a 962 on the track with a team, of course, then yep. uh, you can do that as well. Yep, and long may it be that way. Well, we got a Hopefully minute. Of- technology doesn't get us out. Yes, yeah, true. Um, well, I'm worried about your uh, electric car thing, okay? So uh, we got about a minute or two, and I'm just going to say this, and then mm-hmm. I want you to just follow up on this real quick. My concern, being a internal combustion fanatic, is if this Formula E thing takes off, and if you mm-hmm. do you think that we're going to just, uh, I mean, and, and a lot of guys are concerned about this, are, is, are, are, is, there, is the internal combustion engine doomed? No. I don't, th- I don't think so. That's the short answer. I mean, yes, they're, we're moving uh, toward electric propulsion, and there are several countries around the world. France is one. Norway is one. China is one. 
that say they're going to ban the sale of internal combustion engine-powered vehicles down the road. That doesn't mean that the ones we already have won't still be there. And that also doesn't mean that the engineers, and I have huge respect for automotive engineers and their technology, the internal combustion engine, I'm predicting, will get more and more efficient. Okay. It will be, you know, more, it'll maintain the power levels and the performance we're already seeing, but they'll get better gas mileage and they will reduce the emissions. Engineers can really do anything if you throw the challenge out there, give them the tools to get the job done, and they'll come up with some kind of amazing idea that'll make this thing happen. So, no, I don't think uh, in the medium to long term that the internal combustion engine is going to go anywhere because there's too many of us around who love these cars and trucks and who who want to preserve them and exercise them and so on. So, no, I don't think we have anything to worry about on that front. But you can be sure that electric propulsion is coming, and it'll be be cool and and sexy and and high-performance in its own way. Hmm. Well, Bob, on that note, uh, I want to thank you for taking some time out and hanging out with us here. So I know you're pretty active on social media, so why don't you give out your social media information? That way people can kind of, like, follow Bob Varsha. The world's greatest okay, well, motorsports commentator. <laughs> thank you very much. You're very kind. Now, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, although I must confess I haven't been there in a while because uh, other people's stuff winds up there, and I start looking at that, and I don't get my own stuff on there. But anyway, uh, yeah, you can find me. Uh, and what is my handle? At Bob Barsha, I believe. I just throw my name out there. I don't have any trick handles. Just search <laughs> Bob Barsha. You're going to find me. Okay. Well, super. Well, Bob, thank you very much. Have a good, uh, safe summer. Enjoy some of those trips. We'll look forward to having you back on. You can give us some updates on Formula E and whatever else is going on out there. And good luck in your endeavors there. And I'll see you at some of the concourse, hopefully, and maybe some of the vintage races. So, Yeah, let's hope so. You Thanks, take, Robert. You take care. I want to thank my special guest again, Bob Varsha, the world's greatest motorsports commentator. I mean, I just have so much respect for this gentleman. He is just uh, well, well revered in the industry. And, uh, you know, people just, just love him. He's just a great guy. So, anyway, hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Tan Talk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. Tell your friends to tune in, too, because, you know, you never know. we got all kinds of cool stuff. We have uh, celebrities that come on. We have car guys that come on. And we have just... Uh, the average Joe that comes on. And uh, don't forget to follow us on uh, Facebook. Let's see what else we do. Uh, Twitter. And, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> working on Instagram. And don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. In the meantime, I want to see you guys at some of the car shows and some of the races. So stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Radio!